The following program is sponsored by Victorian Finance. Welcome to Real Estate with Sonny Bringle. I'm Gary Dixon. And Sonny, good to see you again. Gary, I'm glad you get to see me today again. <laughs> well, we are all are, Sonny, really. <laughs> the program is Real Estate with Sonny Bringle. And what we're here to talk about is all kinds of things relating to real estate and financing. And today, specifically on the program, we'll be talking about divorce and real estate, correct? Yes. I guess we could say marriage and divorce because it's kind of the combined together, but the bad aspect of divorce. It happens to a lot of people and it's yeah. something that uh, you need to plan for or, or know about as well if that's applying to you or your family. We'll talk about that today in the program. Let me mention that the program is sponsored by Victorian Finance and Sonny is the president and owner of Victorian Finance, which provides residential mortgages to people buying houses. We'll give you all the contact information, websites, and all that later on in the program. But let's get to the uh, guests and the questions. Sonny? Thank you, Gary. As I mentioned, today we're going to uh, have a topic about divorce and how it affects real estate in general and all aspects of it. And I'm sure that'll branch out to real estate affecting other aspects of your life from a, a divorce perspective as well. But I want to introduce our guest today that help make sure that we stay on topic and provide the right information. Diane Scabaloni, loan officer with Victorian Finance. She's uh, been on a few shows now, and she's getting a lot more comfortable with this, aren't you, yes, Diane? Yes, yes. This is great. <laughs> I'm happy to be here, Sonny. Thank yeah. you. And uh, Diane, do you want to introduce your guest? Yes, I'm so excited to have Lisa Standish here. She has her own law practice, helps people, lots of people go through the, the divorce process in many different ways. And I'll let Lisa, go ahead and explain the name of your company and some of the little bullet points of what you do and how you help your clients. Yeah, I have my own practice. It's located in Wexford, Pennsylvania, and I primarily focus on family law, which includes divorce, custody, support, and also collaborative law, where people work um, as a team to get through the divorce process, but pledge to stay out of court. And in collaborative law, we use mental health professionals, and financial professionals to help us through this process. Because really, every divorce is, uh, has legal implications, financial implications, and emotional implications. So we use a whole team approach in order to get people through that process. That's awesome. Not involving the court sounds cheaper. It can be. <laughs> Let's just say it's much more pleasant. It's absolutely more pleasant. And to me, you get more for your value because you are getting the expertise of people who are specially trained in collaborative practice and specially trained to deal with the financial issues and the emotional issues as well as the legal issues. Excellent. Well, thanks for describing that part. Sure. Most people don't understand that there may be a collaborative way of doing it. <laughs> right, right. As a part of the real estate function, I mean, the largest investment most couples have is the house they have. And depending on their age, it may be the only asset they truly have significant wealth in. And it's not the most liquid thing in the world. You don't exactly walk up to ATM machine and say, take my equity out. However, there's a lot of different vehicles that make that very easy to do. But it, it, there's a lot of complications from a legal standpoint. We're going to step through a number of topics today and expound upon them and discover some new ones. And these conversations are always amazing. What I find out as well, that I'm in this business every day, but I learn stuff every day about this as well. Let's start out with a scenario that somebody owns a house already, mm -hmm. and which is a common scenario. They own the house already. They Let's assume they have positive equity for the first example, that you, the house is worth more than their mortgage. You know, what's the process by which if they're getting divorced, it cannot be reconciled and they're getting divorced? What's the most significant things around that? Well, I think a lot of times people 
need assistance in trying to figure out what kind of decision to make about the house. They might need the help of a financial planner to say, does it make sense for one party to keep the house or does it make sense simply to sell the house? A lot of times people get emotionally tied to a house because they've spent their marriage, they've raised their kids there, but it may not make the most sense financially for them to keep that house. So a lot of times we have a financial professional help in making that decision. And once we make that decision, it's how does that person keep the house? Are we um, shifting other assets in the other person's, in the other spouse's direction in order to buy out the other person's interest in the house? And if there's a mortgage, how can we get the other spouse's name off the mortgage? That's, That's complicated. It is. Yeah. And sometimes people don't even realize that that has to happen. One spouse might simply leave the house and say, okay, the other spouse can keep the house and I'm fine with that. I'll stay on the mortgage. That's not a problem yeah. until <laughs> they go to buy their own house and they realize there's, oh, that's right. There's a big mortgage in my name. And I'm not going to be able to get my own mortgage in my own house. So it's something that you really have to think about in advance and plan and have the spouse maybe go through a pre-approval process to see how they can qualify for a mortgage. Did I coach you on that pre-approval stage? <laughs> Did I ask you to say that beforehand? Yeah, what do we so. say on this show all the time? What should you do in any real estate situation is talk to your quarterback mortgage professional and talk to your real estate agent. Yeah. Right. Pre-approval. Learn all this, all these troubles and the obstacles you're going to have beforehand. Yeah, right. but thank you for saying that. But more, <laughs> the more information you have before making these final decisions, the better. So, for instance, you might say, well, I need an agreement in order to qualify her for a mortgage. I need an agreement for three years of alimony at this amount of money. Well, we can kind of work with our settlement in trying to make that happen or whatever other kind of requirements you might need. If we know that in advance, we can use that in our negotiations. Well, that's excellent. So you, you use the word three years. So you're obviously, you're aware of some of the mortgage requirements mm -hmm. that we have to project three years of income. It's a key statement that you understand the complications from the mortgage side to say that three years is really the time frame we need to prove they have income coming in the future. Right. Now you had made a statement before as well that one spouse stays on the mortgage but doesn't stay in the house anymore. And one thing to make sure they realize is that if you're planning on buying something else, you have to wait a year because you have to have 12 months of canceled checks from the spouse that's staying in the house to show they're actually paying for the mortgage. Because we won't use that as a debt against you if the other spouse has been paying the mortgage for 12 months or more. Mm -hmm. And so you need to wait at least a year to prove that that spouse can make those payments. So are you saying that you can stay, it's okay under certain circumstances for the one that left the house to stay on the mortgage? It, it's A lot of times it's the only way to make it work. Because uh, let's imagine, say you have a 3% interest rate on your loan. And today mortgage interest rates are 6%. The only way to get your name off title and mortgage is to refinance the house. And the mortgage interest rates today may be much more costly to refinance that house because in order for a lender perspective to take your name off, it's basically reducing the amount of qualified people that originally got the loan. Right. So it increases their liability and risk tremendously by taking one of those people they used to qualify the loan with off of that mortgage. So it's a completely process that has to be re reviewed again. And also, even if rates were better today, the individual will now have to qualify on their own 
and they may very well not be able to do that at the time with the cost of being divorced to be able to get a refinance in the first place. They may not qualify on their own, so they may have to leave it that way. So is it common then for there to be divorced couples that still own a home jointly for a long period of time? It's not typically common. As attorneys, we like to clean everything up so that we don't have to deal with these issues down the road. Mm-hmm. And like I talked about before in trying to deal with the refinancing issues, we can deal with those issues in advance. If we're three years down the road and we've already had our settlement agreement, we're not, you know, we're not, we don't have that creative option available. But it is common. We do see it a lot in the mortgage industry. We get a spouse that says, yes, there's another mortgage showing up on my credit report. What do you do? Always you get your credit report pulled, analyze it before you apply for a house or anything. Uh, and we, we can help walk through how they can make sure that doesn't affect their ability to buy the next house and help manage that process. But it is 12 months, though, that you have to prove it. There's, I'm sure we're going to get to something called a settlement agreement in a divorce, which dictates these terms. It says the, the one spouse will be maintaining in a house and that the obligation for those mortgage payments is on the spouse that's staying in the house. And that's one document plus the 12 months of canceled checks or methods of payment showing that truly the obligation is transferred to the spouse staying in the house. So it can be altered later at some point if necessary. Or, you know, what what we also build into a settlement agreement, if one party is unable to refinance after a period of so many months or years, then they simply have to sell the house Mm -hmm. in order to completely absolve the other party. Because your settlement agreement might say that the spouse who moved out is no longer responsible for the mortgage payments, but the mortgage company doesn't care what your settlement agreement says. That is so very key. That is so very key because a lot of times clients will think that if I have a legal document from my divorce mm-hmm. attorney, then everyone is going to accept this. But they don't realize that everybody has their own set of rules that they have to follow. The mortgage company has their rules and the legal um, divorce attorneys have their own. And so that's why it's so great to have someone like Lisa here that understands that we all have to work together to help the client. Yeah, that's an important point I'd say to bring out is, mm-hmm. is that, yeah, you, you, I guess I would assume that if there's a legal agreement that everybody follows it. <laughs> but you're telling me that's not necessarily the case. So, yeah, so just a little bit more on that. So if you have this mortgage showing up on your credit report and then you have the settlement agreement absolving you of it, you have your ex-spouse has been making all the payments. But if that ex-spouse decides to stop making the payments, you still suffer the consequences of it. Mm-hmm. And so that's the reason why I'm sure you recommend, recommend that people don't do that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And we have terms in you know, the agreement that says if they don't make so many payments, then we can go in and enforce the agreement and force the sale of the house earlier. But that still affects their credit report. It absolutely does. Right. right. And that kind of gets to another topic of surviving divorce with good credit. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, uh, that's right. Uh, but, you know, but that's, that's a key thing. I don't, don't want to harp on that too much on the settlement agreement of whether our spouse stays in a house or not. You really talk to your attorney. And they, so we always say there's two quarterbacks in every real estate transaction, your mortgage professional and your real estate professional. Obviously, in a divorce proceedings, your attorney is the kind of coordinator of the other things as well. So mm-hmm. we all three have to work together to manage the process to make it better for somebody but absolutely but you know but credit is such a thing that we see all the time that we get a client that just recently divorced and it's not amicable mm-hmm. they're not speaking to each other and they're like i'm not paying that credit card that's his credit card <laughs> you know that was her credit card he said she said it was her credit card those aren't my shoes those aren't my suits you know <laughs> right. i'm not paying those bills well you both get crushed 
Exactly. Because they're joint accounts. Right. Yeah. And once again, it doesn't matter if you have an order of court or a settlement agreement that says husband is paying the city card. If husband doesn't pay the city card and her name's on it, well, it affects her credit. City card doesn't care <laughs> what your agreement says or what an order of court says. Well, and that's what the, the analogy to a mortgage is. You both sign for the, the loan. Right. That doesn't change until the loan is completely redone and a whole new set of documents you guys are redone. Are making me wish I got a prenup. <laughs> well, again, well, a that's prenup. the best option. <laughs> <laughs> you can even have a prenup, but if they're still in the, both in the same name, you still have the same issue. I think, right. uh, I think 41 years ago when I got married, uh, I don't know if they had prenups back then. <laughs> yeah, there was right when you mentioned it, the, the marriage was off. Right. <laughs> but I always tell people, um, usually one of the first times I meet them, you know, in terms of what, kind of information to get absolutely a copy of your credit report so that you know and you're aware of everything that's out there. That is so true, Lisa, because a lot of times people don't know. They don't right. remember. If they had a card that they opened 10 years ago, Sure, they're not exactly sure if they're an authorized user or if they're It could be something obligated. silly, right. like Home Depot or Kohl's or right. something like that. You completely forget. Right? But, yeah, because your credit report is not as sensitive as far as the credit amount or the monthly payment. You could have a $30 monthly payment go 30-day late, tank your credit score 100 points. And you could have a $5,000 month monthly payment you pay on time. It doesn't care the amount of the monthly payment. It cares that you default, you went late on something. Mm -hmm. So regardless of how small it is, you know, I forgot I bought this suit for $50 at Kohl's. And you forget to make one payment, it could tank your credit score and your interest rate would be a lot higher. Yeah. Right. Uh, but and this is where in divorce, trying to make, I'm sure you have to express to them, you understand you're hurting both of you. Absolutely. And Absolutely. that's a difficult argument to hold when there a lot of emotions are involved and there's heartbreak and there's just pain. And, you know, it, it, there's nothing, nothing sure. great about it. Yeah. And so I think as attorneys, we all know, you know, attorneys who practice family law, I think regularly understand all these implications. Mm -hmm. And if I have a conversation with a, the opposing counsel, listen. We need to figure out a way to get that city card paid on a monthly basis. We or they're both going to, you know, be in trouble. I, it's really working together again that makes the most sense. In I never situations. thought I'd say it, but thank goodness for lawyers. Reasonable lawyers. Okay. Well, since we're at this point in the program, well, I'll go ahead and give some uh, contact information here for us, and then we'll back. To some more questions in just a moment. The program you're listening to is Real Estate with Sonny Bringle. Sonny's the president and owner of Victorian Finance, which provides residential mortgages to people buying houses. Now, here's a phone number you can call if you would like to contact Victorian Finance, and that is toll-free, 888 That's 888 And you can also visit their website. The website is the same name as this program. That is realestatewithsunnybringle.com. There you'll find answers to a lot of your questions, as well as the ability to listen back to podcasts from this program. And we encourage you while you're there on the website to ask questions for us to address on a future program. Just click the Ask a Question button at realestatewithsunnybringle.com. Sonny? Thank you, Gary. Uh, getting back to the house and transitioning the house to one spouse keeping the house or not. Let's, let's assume that happens most of the time, that one of the spouses keep the house. What's the impact on custody agreements because they're school district based? Because in Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. a lot of it is based on keeping a certain school district. Any implications or advice that you can give? Well, no party can move 
with their children in to an area where it would affect custody. So if one party moves to a neighboring school district and the other party is okay with that and accepts that, then that's one thing. But you can't simply pick up the kids and move to another school district um, without the other parent's consent or the court's permission. That could create contention if one party has to leave the house and is unable to afford in that school district or find a house in that school district. That's sometimes difficult. Is there any resolution or examples of resolutions you've found that they've come to an agreement that's acceptable or it's just, or just a complication you have to figure out at the time? Well, I think it's just, you know, again, if you can work together and try to come up with a plan before one parent moves out of the district and say, oh, you know what, this district is really great for our kids. Let's both try to find a place there. Or let's, if one parent is staying in the house and then the other parent, before we make any kind of move, they find a place either in that district or in a neighboring district where they can still get the kids to school. And that would be just like a custody order of transporting kids around if they needed to. Sure. Or, you know, still a vicinity to the house. Sure. Yeah. And But kids are the main thing. I mean, if you keep the, the kids the main thing, try to resolve everything, keep it amicable. It's the, the best of situations. It keeps bringing down emotions, I would think. Yeah. yeah. And it does create this commonality between the parties in spite of what their differences are. If they can focus on that common goal of raising their kids and being business partners in the most important business that they have, then usually things can fall into place. Well, you know, Victorian Finance is named after my daughter, and we all do everything we can for our kids, That's and right. they do frustrate yes. us at times. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but we love them dearly. Right. <laughs> We're not throwing them out. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so true. Yeah. Even if they hang around longer than they want to in the house, we have. You know? <laughs> right. Uh, uh, but a little bit more on the mortgage side, there's another complication that comes in, which is alimony and uh, child support. Those are two different things that are taxed differently. Can you help define the difference? Sure. So alimony is taxable to the person receiving it, and it's deductible by the person paying it. So that's the silver you know, lining yeah. to paying oh, alimony that I always tell people. <laughs> um, child support has no tax implications at all. And child support lasts until a child is 18 or graduates from high school, whichever is later, unless there are certain special needs and they uh, are incapable of supporting themselves. And that's key from a mortgage qualification standpoint. Diane, how often do you come across Yes, this? that is very key because a lot of times when I'm doing a pre-approval with someone and they tell me they are receiving child support, I ask them the question, you know, what is your child's date of birth? And they kind of, you know, look at me funny with that question, but we can only count child support if it's going to continue for at least three years. So if we have a, you know, if, if someone's receiving child support and needs that money to qualify and they have a 16-year-old, then we can't use that income and that could affect dramatically how much of a mortgage they can qualify for. Good could you point. even call it child support even though it goes beyond 18? If you have a settlement agreement that says that uh, dad is paying child support beyond the get, 18th birthday? And this is where clarity is key. Uh, mm -hmm. So it, there's some vagueness in settlement agreements that I've seen before as well that says that uh, child support is to continue if the child were to go to college up to the age of 22 or 23 or 24. However, it's written in a way that says if the child goes to college. Uh, mm -hmm. At 16, you don't know there's if right. the child uh, <laughs> right. is going to college. It has to be 
will continue yeah. to their 23, not so, if they continue. So if we had that discussion and we could plan that in advance, that's something mm-hmm. that we could build into our negotiations, right. like we were saying before. Mm-hmm. You know, just call it that so that person qualifies for mm-hmm. the refinance. And that we recently had that situation where the vagueness of the contract, the settlement agreement, the divorce agreement said that we'll continue as long as they're in college up to 24. Right. Well, the child, the child said, yeah, I'm going to college. Well, yeah, yeah. You, you can't verify that. But I'm going to keep my job. I'm never going to quit. You know, yeah. There are certain assumptions that you have to go by. And the rules are very clear here for the mortgage guidelines. We don't, we don't write these. We interpret them. But these have been set that it has to be very clear past the age of 18 or graduating high school because you, know, you can be 18 and a half or close mm-hmm. to 19 at graduating high school and that you continue to that date of graduation. But unless it's written in absolute clarity, you can't count past that date. You know, and alimony is also as clarity is that we'll continue for a certain amount of time is that you has to be very clear that that continuance is for at least three years or greater. Uh, and that's the clarity that your the agreement you write. And another thing that we require for the mortgage process is that we want to see a history of receiving that as well. Right. And what's typically that period of time? 12 months of proving that it's been consistent because you know, the difficulties uh, that varying. So, well, here, I'll give you $500 this week. I'll give you $600. I'll right. catch up in next month. Right. And, right. and those is very difficult from us because we're legally bound to determine the client's ability to pay. And if we have this variability that's not consistent, we have to go with something we believe is consistent at an average of a low, lower level average. Mm-hmm. And that may affect your ability to buy a house. Divorce right. is very complicated. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> it can be, but it can yes. be really simple if you, again, well, I, I like understand you, things. Well, the way you described it is that, that your best advice to is like, first, do everything you can to work it out. Second is if you, if you reach this point that you're doing it, find a collaborative attorney that wants to help you work it out that way and to come to an agreement that can express to you the implications of being bitter and making it difficult for each other's lives. That's a very difficult challenge in certain situations, but it's sure. the best advice people can take during that time frame is just realize that, okay, you're going to get divorced. Just make it least impactful on both of you by coming to these agreements that understanding what your future plans are as well. Right. You can come out better on the other side. Diane, I know you have a situation you've recently encountered in which you had a unique way to advise people to structure the settlement agreement. Well, we were just talking about a happy ending. I had one that was a little bit unfortunate because they they did not use a wonderful attorney like Lisa. They decided to put the agreement together on their own, and he agreed to make the mortgage payments for the next year until they sold the house. So we had a history of him making the mortgage payments, which didn't matter because they were selling the house. So what she really needed that agreement to say is he was going to give her $1,500 a month for alimony because then we could have used that income for qualifying. So people don't realize how important it is to have an attorney prepare things so that they can use it to their benefit. So she could have really used to show, it would have been very helpful for her to show $1,500 more a month in income. Sure. Again, the importance of talking to someone before you try to work these things out on your own. Right. One of the topics we haven't talked about the negative side of it is that if your house is underwater or less, worth less than the mortgage you have available on it, all the complications that go with that. Sometimes we have to divide debt. Not only in a divorce are we dividing assets, but we're dividing the liabilities. So then we have to decide, are there other assets to pony up to pay off the mortgage to be able to sell the house? Or do we keep someone in the house until there's enough equity to to sell it? 
And that's where I've heard a scenario why if you come to that agreement that you split the equity of whatever future value is sold. Right. You can. I mean, there's considerations there, too. If we are going to keep someone in the house for a number of years, are those mortgage payments that that person makes going to be credited to them in some way? How do we divide the equity at that point if there is any equity? Um improvements on the house. So how do we, we have to think about these things. Oh yeah. We Absolutely. haven't talked about the air conditioner breaking. Right. <laughs> right. Good point. Good point. Yeah. Yeah, like right, right about now that it, it, it really get real contentious. <laughs> right. Right. Yes. Uh, so the longer, you know, again, the longer you were putting things off, the more contingencies we have to think about along the way. Thank you very much. Great session today. Lisa, it's been a pleasure having you today. Thank you. Thank you. Diane, thanks Thank again you. for everything. And I mean, there's infinite more topics. I'm sure we'll get questions and we can probably do another segment. Thank you to you all, including you, Sonny. Great, <laughs> uh, you. great program. Thanks for the great information to Diane and Lisa as well, of course. Here's the phone number for Victorian Finance. It's 888-333-0191. And also uh, remember to visit the show's website. That's realestatewithsunnybringle.com. You'll find answers to a lot of your questions there. You can listen back to podcasts of this program as well and you can even ask questions which we will be happy to address on a future program again thanks to all and thanks for listening victorian finance llc is a full-service mortgage lender serving the greater pittsburgh area with offices in bridgeville and murraysville licensed by the pa department of banking lender license 21334 nmls number 50635 member mortgage bankers association of southwestern pa lend right home mortgage experts and equal housing lender The preceding program was sponsored by Victorian Finance.